coming up in one minute on the Jack and Around podcast. But then when you hear this other thing that is just more of a natural fit for you, because you yeah. had this, like, did you always sound like you smoked four packs of cigarettes <laughs> and had whiskey? <laughs> I, don't, I don't, when I first started, I sounded like high squeaky Alvin and the Chipmunks, I felt like. I'm, what I've always loved about hanging out with you, especially late at night, is Paul. Paul. Can we talk about Paul for a minute? <laughs> you really want was that was that us bring that up? That's why you, you're here. Paul's my Your alter ego. The best thing about a major label, there's no ceiling. You look up and there's not there's nothing holding you back. Did your fans from Texas ever be like, what, now you want to come back to us? The only thing that they saw was Saturday night get to number 39 on the charts. So you never did like a lips of an angel thing or <laughs> <laughs> well, you really went for some fucking t- titties and brass. <laughs> I never did, but I wasn't offered the chance either. I probably would have. <laughs> Given the chance, I'd sell out. <laughs> Is Taylor Swift a generational? Yes. But it might not be because she's Ray Charles. It's not because she's Stevie Wonder. Because of who she is. It's because she's she Garth re- Brooks. She, yeah, she plays the game. She is the game. Yeah. And she figured out what but it was. she wasn't at one point. No, from the minute I met her, dude, she knew exactly who she was going to be. And if she didn't make it, she was going to fail spectacularly. I remember getting demos from Stapleton. I'm sure you got them too. And you wrote with them where you're just like, I don't know how this is going to work, but if this doesn't work, then I need to be out of the business. Stories bring lessons, laughter, unforgettable experiences, and memories that far outlive the storytellers themselves. Great stories happen to those who can tell them. This is the Jack and Around podcast, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner and master storyteller Jack Ingram. In these open dialogue podcasts, Jack digs into the personal stories of a wide variety of special guests, including your favorite music, sports, and entertainment personalities. And now to introduce today's guest here is podcast producer matt Pivato. thank you mr rowdy yates welcome to the world premiere of the jack and around podcast on today's podcast we welcome singer songwriter wade bowen a little info on wade wade grew up in waco texas went to school at texas tech university where he began his music career he released his first record in 2002 fast forward 20 years later Wade has released nearly a dozen records and has been hugely successful touring not only here in Texas, but across the country. Before I toss it to Jack, some quick housekeeping notes. The Jack and Around podcast is available in audio across all major audio platforms and in video on YouTube. Also, don't forget to connect in on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Last but not least, do us a huge favor and subscribe. For our audio listeners, please rate this podcast. All links are provided in the description and at Jack and Around podcast.com also provided in the description of wade's and jack's bios so let's get the show started take it away mr ingram hey welcome to another edition of jacking around i'm jack ingram this is my podcast where i uh have a few drinks swap a few stories maybe play a few songs and talk about whatever with my friends my buddies and uh tonight we have wade bowen who i've known for 15 years, maybe. When did that record come out that I called you and said, hey, man? Uh, Yeah, that was 2006. So I knew you a couple years before that, but we we kind of made a bond over music. Yeah. um, So we've known each other for, yeah, 15, almost 20 years. And since that time, we spent a lot of of late nights, early mornings talking, uh, yelling, (laughs) arguing, (laughs) loving about music, over music. Singing each other's songs, writing songs together, 
playing each other our favorite songs. And uh, so figured we get weighed down here to talk about life in the COVID season, the, se- the season of Corona. Wade, welcome to the show, man. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Jacking around, drinking around, drinking. Yeah. Well, the whole, through, the whole drinking jacking around kind of came with uh, jacking around and then jack and around of drinks. So smooth. And since I also could say swapping songs sometimes is around, I was like, hey, man, they're going to say my name in vain. Let's let's make some money off of it. <laughs> yeah. I love to have you, bud. Hey, man, thanks for the invite. We haven't gotten to see each other since I was at your house doing the same yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, that really, that was the last time we saw each other. It's crazy, isn't it? Think about that. It's funny because I have found over the over the course of this past six months that the more you see people, the more you stay in touch with them. <laughs> yes. Like the more the more I see you out at shows or at a festival or at we're a, forced a song, to stay in touch. Yeah. And then then we got some kind of inside joke going, and then. Late that night, the next uh, Sunday night, when I'm when I'm thinking about all the fun I had over the weekend at the show, I'll go that little fucker, and I'll and I'll call you at two in the morning, and you won't answer, but but I'll have and, and then you call me the next day, and we have this ongoing dialogue that I've noticed it's hard to, it's hard to keep going because all the inside jokes are are drying up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, COVID's <laughs> drying up a lot of things, man. But uh, you know. I didn't realize it. It's funny how it just flies by, man. I mean, it, I guess it's it's been that way with a lot of people. You know, I, I noticed that with my mom and dad. Like, holy crap, I haven't seen them. And I think at one point I hadn't seen them in four months. And that's the longest I've ever gone in my life without seeing my mom and dad. You know, yeah. we're really close. So um, finally just made a trip up to Waco and said, you know, I'll keep my distance, but I got to at least see y'all and hang out. So What have they been doing besides making – that birthday pudding. Yeah, that's right. I knew you were going to bring that up. Um, that's the only reason you're here, man. Did yeah, you not bring it? Yeah. I, I talked to her on the way down. I should have. Wade's I, mother makes this. What, is, what do you call it? It's called graham cracker pudding. It's the greatest thing ever. It's almost like a, a gooey butter bar. But better. But pudding. But pudding. It's what it's what banana pudding should have been. Yeah, exactly. Without the gross It's like wafers. great grandmother <laughs> passed down. For, so I anyway. Know, one of those deals. First time I got that, I was like, wait, I love you, but <laughs> your mom's the shit. Your mom's the best. <laughs> yeah, well, she's a good-hearted woman, loving a good time of man. And they, they've been literally like, I mean, they've been playing by the rules a little bit, but my dad, he's at the golf course. He's been at the golf course every day, playing golf with his buddies and hanging out. Well, it seems like the golf course is a natural place. It, it, it's kind of a natural place to follow the rules. Yeah. Well, he's also like, you know, the golf course is a safer place you can be, boy. You need to get out there. Like, okay, dad. Yes, sir. Anything my whole life, anything to get me to play more golf. Seriously, I did that to my kids too, man. My did my dad would I, I would go out with my dad when I was six, seven, thought I was gonna be a baseball player. And this is how different it is today than than it was back then. My dad would it was dusk, because my dad would get home at five thirty six at night. And he'd go, Come on, Jack, and I'd get in the tr- car with him and I'd take my baseball glove and I'd go out about first it was a hundred, then it was 110, then 120. And he'd be hitting irons, sand wedges, pitching wedges, nine irons. And I'd be out there shagging them with my glove. 
Really? And I think about that now. Like as the sun's going down, I can hardly see the damn ball. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you saw some dude out there with his dad hitting golf balls at him, <laughs> at you, you might call CPS. <laughs> Especially, especially me. You said a hundred yards. If if I I can't do that with my kids with my short game, I'll blade it into them and hurt them really bad. A, there's that, and B, kids <laughs> there are so, such babies. Oh yeah, it's hot. It's too hot. No, they will they'll get hit in the dark. face and cry and go tell everybody that what you did to them. At least yeah. mine would. <laughs> they all do. It's not just yours. It's but all yes, of I also them. have seen your short game. I wouldn't go out there and catch balls. <laughs> Not for me. So what have you been doing, man? Like, what There's have you people been- who make fun of my chipping that have never even played golf with me. That's how bad <laughs> my chipping is. Sorry. Go ahead. I bet you're a pretty good golfer. We've played a couple times. I was. I was uh, for a long time. Uh, and then I just kind of let it slowly. Did you play in high school? Did you ever play yeah. f- like competition I played, golf? I played competition golf growing up, like as a kid, kid. Like I was playing in tournaments at like nine years old. And when no, well, your dad's friends with that guy, Woody, right? Yeah. So was your dad a real golfer too? Like my you- dad played golf at Baylor, right? And uh, you know played pretty consistently after that. My my grandfather passed when he my my dad graduated Baylor in nineteen seventy two, and his father passed away seventy three, I believe seventy four. So he took over the Bowen Electric mm-hmm. unexpectedly very soon at an early age. So kind of the golf thing kind of went to the side so he could keep the business going. So was your dad maybe going to be, go try and work on the tours? And back then there was no money in it. You know, I don't think he was going to do that, but I think he, he loved it enough. Like he, you know, he had friends that were, he he probably, you know, he caddied for guys sometimes and things like that. I don't know if he had done anything. I don't think he ever got the chance to really figure out if he wanted to or not, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't think he was ever that good. That's a whole nother level, if you ask me. But, but I, I, I think he, he didn't want to. I know, I know deep down he didn't want to have to work that hard at age twenty three. Yeah. Um. But he, but he has no idea what it was like to work trying to make it on the tour either. Right. Yeah. That would have been. And he got handed a a, a company, you know, that my grandfather started in nineteen fifty five, and so it was it was established and doing well, and then all of a sudden, everyone bails, and he's a twenty three, twenty four year old kid. That they don't trust to run the company. So at one point, Bowen so Electric he's was Tommy Boy. Yeah, it was one truck, <laughs> one guy that worked for my grandfather that s- stayed there with him the whole time, and my dad. So there was two people in a truck running an electric company. Running an electric, running running Bowen Electric. Now there's eighty something employees. So I was about to say, like, how does that work? So they do industrial, commercial, and residential, and they uh. They do it pretty much all over the region, not just in the Waco area. But my my dad retired, and then my brother in law, my so I, you know I was the I have three sisters, no brothers, and so you know I think my dad's vision his whole life, my whole life through sixteen, is this where you fucked it seventeen all up, years dad. old. This is where music fucked it all up. But uh, you know, I think I think his vision was for me to obviously do that what he did because he he grew up with three sisters too. So I think his vision for me was to do that and, and that whole rite of passage thing that every young man goes through, right, with their father and just in, in life in general, that was a really bad time for me and, and, and my father and I. So we kind of had to get fight through all that, you know, the so call how, home. So when, okay, so set this up for me. You're, you're, you're at Texas Tech. So first of all, you didn't go to Baylor. Right. Broke his heart. Didn't go to Baylor. 
strike one. Then you're at tech. <laughs> and what are you studying? At that point, I was studying marketing as my major. And what would you have been studying to make him proud? Engineering? No. He was just glad I was going. So he didn't care about that. He didn't care. He wasn't a hard ass. He was he was cool as hell. Well, on. electricians aren't that smart. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> That's why we play music. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I remember at an early age, you had what it was was it just West 84 or was it Wade Bowen and West 84? It was just West 84 at first. And then you Terrible realized night. quickly that you were the one writing the songs and making the calls and driving the van? Well, when we first started, it was it was the age old thing. Meet some buddies, jam in your garage for a little while, and go jump up on an open mic night. And all of a sudden, we had a gig. All frat brothers. Yeah, because we had. Well, they they were, were there any musician musicians. They, they were members of other fraternities, but we we all just kind of knew each other from Waco, actually, and and kind of got some guys that we knew up in college too that kind of were friends of friends. So we'd go play the bars there and pack them out because we had it was you know Texas big fraternity school and. We had all those fraternity guys, and so and we were terrible. From, of course. We all were. Yeah. We were some, terrible, but they I mean, booked some, us. Some we can say we crowds. all are. <laughs> yeah. But, but we, we, haven't, we haven't developed. So were you affiliate? <laughs> were, you, were you enamored and affiliating with that whole Buddy Holly scene that was, that was inherent in Lubbock? Or were you just chicks, beer, money, party, let's rock? Um, man, honestly, I was obsessed with – so I grew up in – around my older sisters who loved mainstream country music. My first concert I ever went to was Alabama. And they took me to concert after concert after where? concert. Bell County or uh, where'd y'all go? Where, where it was they? in Fort Worth actually somewhere. I was six years old, so I don't remember much. I remember waiting in line. The only thing I do remember from the show was the entrance. The way that Alabama walked on stage was amazing. And then did they did they play play me some country music right from the top like Whiskey River? I've never, I don't think I've ever. Seen I don't remember the first live. song they played, but they they did this like movie. The lights went down. They had a huge screen. So this would have been nineteen eighty three or eighty four. Mm -hmm. They're as prime prime as they ever were, you know. And so they show the screen of them driving different vehicles, but it's like close up, and they're all cruising in different cars. The drummer's on a motorcycle, of course. He was the cool guy. And uh, he they they pull into a parking lot on the, on the movie, and they get out together in unison. They start walking down this big archway, and they get closer and closer and closer, and then they walked on stage. That must have been fun. It was awesome. I was like, oh, six years, seven years old. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life up to this point. And then, then I remember that, and I remember waiting in this huge long line after the concert, for an autograph, my sisters were obsessed, and my mom waited with us, and they they were like kissing them on the cheek and stuff. That That's was my first table. experience. Yes, the age old trick. That's that was my first concert. So so that's what I that was my so called. So when you started playing music, you weren't you were you weren't really hip to. Oh no. Uh, you know whatever the whatever the. It's not an underground scene, but we, you weren't really dialed into yet. When I first started playing that guitar, clock, that whole thing it was like mainstream country, and then so in the, so in, so in when was that nineteen ninety six ninety seven ninety eight seven eight so you were into uh, well, Alabama what, what was it, Tim McGraw um, 
No, it was Garth and George Strait and Travis Tritt. I liked him a lot. Alan Jackson, that kind of that Vince Gill, loved Vince Gill. Did you know you could sing yet? Like, yeah. Did you sing in high school? Sing in the choir or sing in the I did a little bit, but I was always kind of embarrassed or, or shy about it. I started I didn't I didn't learn to play guitar until I was seventeen. Yeah. That's when I started writing and the only reason I learned to play guitar was so I could write. And then I started writing and then so I learned guitar at seventeen and I started a band when I was nineteen. Like pretty stupid. But that's what I did. That sounds stupid. That's that's what you're it's supposed to do. A little quicker than most, probably, I guess. But no, it's no that no, it's not. It might be a little late <laughs> to start playing, but yeah, yeah. Like, Two if years you're a guy wants to, to front a band. a band, you go I just do it. Yeah, pick up a guitar, learn a few chords, get a gig. And to be honest with you, man, I mean, I, I've I've said this a million times, but it's the truth. When I was in, when I was a freshman at Tech, all I knew was mainstream country, and I went to see Robert Earl. In concert, my dad had given. Uh, he had just released uh, number two live dinner around that time, and so my dad had given me the the original live album, the the uh, other one from, from Sons, Sons of Herman. Herman. And so I listened to that when you know, kind of driving out to school and my kind of first few months in college, and I loved it. And then I and then he got that out, and I just really liked what I was. I really liked it, and, and then I went and watched them play in Lubbock, and I went, oh. Here's this whole other thing. Yeah. It clicked because it also, at that point, I thought I was going to have to move to Nashville, wait tables. Um, <laughs> You're fine. Matt Peewito, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, Who never drinks. <laughs> All of a sudden, he's popping except beer. Not, except when I come here. It's a Dr. Pepper, right? <laughs> Coke, yeah. There's a couple cold colas. Yeah, but I thought, you know, I had to move to Nashville and wait tables and wait my turn for the age-old story you always heard over and over. And then I saw him and I was like, wait, I mean, I can do this now. Well, hell yeah, let's go do it. And that's when I went and hunted down people and started writing a little bit and started meeting, you know, met some buddies and we started a band immediately. It's funny, man. It's funny to hear that your, your take on that because knowing that you were into that, like you were into the great, like I bet you were into Brooks and Dunn too. Yeah, kind of. Neon Moon and some of those, yeah, some yeah. of those, the early stuff. All the 90s. I mean, 90s. And in my mind, 90s I go, country was huge. It was the biggest selling genre of all time. Absolutely. Right? That one decade. So. And it's funny to me to hear you say that story because knowing you were naturally attracted to that kind of music and that style of, which is right down the middle of mainstream America, which is, which is great when it's great. Mm -hmm. And then also knowing what a natural singer you you are, I've always said that to you. Like even before I liked your songs, I was like, I don't care, man. That dude can sing. And uh, sometimes it's like when you're telling that story, I go, hmm. Sometimes do you look back and go, God, if I'd have just never gone and seen Robert O'Keefe, I, I could have moved to Nashville and fucking made it. <laughs> made it, been a big star. <laughs> made it at that at that kind of level, which you've always want, like. You and I both have chased that that yeah yeah that sunset. Yeah. I mean, we definitely. It definitely changed my course for, uh, because um, maybe that would have happened. Who knows? But I, but I also know that this was a much harder, more difficult path to grow up musically in the bars and figure everything out. I mean, it's you know, it's been a, it's been a, a whirlwind. Do you versus, ever have second thoughts about it? I don't have second thoughts about that decision. I don't have second thoughts about jumping straight into it and doing it. I, I, I think it's, I think it's really been 
valuable and priceless to learn, um, you know, work hard from the like ground up, build it from the ground up. That's, that's really been fun to be a part of instead of just knowing that, you know, you jumped into a, a, a hit song and it took off. I, I, I don't know that that, I don't have any experience with that and I have no clue if that's better. But I, I'm not gonna. I don't second guess it. No, because I, I really, my heroes changed. My 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 course changed. My I wanted to be taken seriously instead of being a star. Yeah, you know, you those childhood dreams of I want to go play in front of thou. I want to win awards. I want to go you know, play arenas and stadiums. Like all of that uh, kind of didn't stop thinking about it. But you started, you just start looking at it a different way. A yeah, I just. I really f- started focusing on being a writer and trying to figure that out. That's where that's where the divide started happening from West 84 because I kept working towards that. And so then, you're in a band called West – hold on. So you're, West 84 is a band. We're going to share everything, even chicks maybe. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> get paid <laughs> – sorry. Sorry, honey. But we, we get paid every night and I would I – mean, we there was five of us and I would – one. Did you two, pay yourself three, twice or four, was it five? No, I was honest. I, you know, slid it up five ways and there you go. That's our deal. But you were booking the gigs. Yep. You were writing the songs. Did you buy the PA? Yeah. Did you have the van? Well, we didn't have a van for a long whatever. time. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You were providing transportation. Yeah, of course. Of course. See, I would have argued. Yeah. Which I did with I my first I never claimed to be smart. I'm just. It's like, here's how we're going to do this. Yeah. I never did it this way. <laughs> You should have done it this way. I get paid twice. I'm two members of the band. I'm I'm the singer in the band, but I'm also the songwriter, the guy who's booking the gigs and everything else. So I'm going to pay that both of those people. And then everybody's going to get it. Yeah. I, that's what I should have done, but I didn't. Let's go back and I'm get some retro. Fair. Let's do retro fair. action. <laughs> too fair to who? Not too yourself. Fair, yeah. Too fair to them. You too and I have nice. had that conversation before too, where I'm like, wait. It's funny, man. You grew up with sisters. Yeah. And a really strong mother. Yep. Because you treat yourself sometimes the way I, I think of old, in an old Being school. spoiled? No. <laughs> to where you put yourself. Last. Last. Oh, yeah. 100%. My mom does the same thing. I Like a lot of wives talk about it after they've been married 30 years and they're like, why don't you put yourself first? Like, well, that's just not how it works. It's like. Well, in order to keep it going, sometimes it is. Yeah. No, there's – I've gotten myself in a lot of trouble because of that. I mean, I always put everybody else first to a fault. My, my mom really has always said a person's best quality is always their worst, and so I guess that's – That's true because one of the things that's that is – That's what comes with that, it. That has always been so easy about you in a way to get to know you, is, <clears throat> especially with the kind of egos that you hang around. Yeah. It's it's really easy to slide into a conversation with you that you got enough ego to, to to fend for yourself, but before you know it, you're friends with somebody who's maybe you know. I would imagine that I probably told you about myself a lot more than I asked about you before we got to be friends, and then it's like, but then all of a sudden we have a connection that that you kind of facilitated, yeah, by just not really always needing to be the first guy with the with the strongest light on, which is also. The things that you and I have talked about lately, not where I'm like, dude, you, nobody hates you. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> and it, and it doesn't come from lack of confidence. It comes from like like 
like, you know, needing to kind of back off from that mentality. Hey man, this is your time. Take it, own it, you know? Um, but I'm always, you know, don't want to take it from someone else, you know? And it's, so it, it's, it's something I struggle with for sure, because I, it's really not the mentality of this business. You know, this is, the business is full of people with microphones. I mean, that's how we make a living. We're, bo- we're proud and loud and boisterous people, right? Right, that's, and the need to have the microphone yeah. is the reason of, we have the microphone. Right, right. And so I've never when did been- need, When did you need to have the microphone? Or do you, you still not need to have it? Um, I wanted, I, I really enjoyed being in front of people. I enjoyed the, the music and I do, I've always said I will stop doing this when I don't enjoy that anymore. You know, I really enjoy being on stage. I enjoy singing songs. I enjoy the band. I enjoy the hard work that it, that it requires. I enjoy the, the fact that we might fall on our ass every single song on our face, you know, but it's the, it's just, there's so much I love about this business and um, ego's never been a part of it for me. I never wanted to be like, uh, I never cared about being this massive, crazy star or anything. I just wanted to be successful and I wanted to be uh, taken seriously, How, whatever that meant. If that meant um, on my own level, which is kind of where I am in my career, I feel like it's, I'm taking it seriously on my own terms, you know, but not, um, but I made that mistake of not kind of stepping up when I probably should have, you know, letting that kind of well, I, pull I me would back. Argue, so that's the fun part about being our age and, and just living through all this stuff. That I would, I, I would argue that through my own experience and through watching other artists that feel the need or have to, uh, step out or reach out into ways that that weren't there's a difference between like reaching just beyond your grasp versus going into places where it's just not a right fit and whenever they do that it comes off that way. i always call it like a like like when i was doing some things in, in the mainstream world which i knew which i knew like this is what you got to do and it, you're trying all these things, and when it didn't work, I felt like a wet cat. And a wet cat ain't cool. They're uncomfortable. They don't. The cats don't like getting wet. And so I would, I would say, which I think you've come to grips with, like, yeah, you trying to act like you have this 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 stars mentality and stars ego would have been bullshit. Yeah, it would have been right. And your voice is what I wouldn't know how to handle it probably either. Well, your voice is the star, like and your integrity is the star. And that's a much slower build. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I I go through a lot of times where I don't regret that decision of seeing Robert Earl, you know, like we talked about. Yeah. But I do I do have moments where you go, man, you know, I there's a few decisions I made. You know, did I make the wrong decisions? You know, um, could I have been? I do I do have moments, a lot of moments where I I wish I was, uh, I don't know how you say, a little more popular of an artist, more, you know, bigger crowds, bigger, more streams. More, yeah, whatever, more recognized. Uh, was it more recognized as an artist or more recognized as a draw? A draw, probably more than anything. You know, there's moments when I think, man, I'm just I'm out here working my, you know, the road is so damn hard and you feel like so many times I'm out here just 
beating my head against the wall going, why the hell am I, you know, I feel like, I feel like we're better than this, you know, I feel mm-hmm. like we're bigger than this. And, uh, you're only as big as the crowd you draw. Right. So, um, it's that, that you, part of it. Do you is, think that's true? Well, I guess, I guess it depends on what terms you're talking about. Some of my favorite acts don't draw big crowds, but. And you know, they're fantastic. Yeah. Oh yeah. It has nothing to do with yeah. talent Yeah. or, or how great they are. Um, but you, you know, I guess as far as worth, uh, you're worth, yeah, you're monetary. worth what you get at the door. Yeah, so, um, or what you're worth, what people say you are. So hold on, when you, when you got into Robert O'Keefe and you go, oh, you don't have to do this other thing. And this, this is really intriguing to me. That's when you truly like Robert O'Keefe was your first kind of underground, not underground, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a, a non-mainstream, like non-mainstream yeah. songwriter, songwriter who also was out there killing My it. My first experience ever with a true songwriter was Guy. Dad listened to Guy Clark growing up. I knew it. I didn't get it yet. Um, I was trying to fit in with my sisters who were older than me. They're, uh, we're real spread out. So my oldest sister's 12 years older than me. My, sec- my middle sister's nine years older than me. And my youngest sister is six years younger than me. So we're real spread out. So I was just busy wanting to be them, wanting to hang out with them, wanting to annoy their boyfriends, you know, uh, do whatever my older sisters wanted to. So I missed a lot of the, my dad was actually the one who was listening to Willie and Waylon and Guy Clark. And that was just dad noise to you? Yeah, it was, it was dad music. I was like, eh, you know, my kids do the same thing to me they right do it now, to me too. you know? And, uh, your kids do it to me. Not mine. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and so I, you know, I, it, it, it took me, it took me a while, uh, to grasp that, but, um, so who's your Robert next Earl guy? Like, like did Robert Earl lead you into Terry Allen or Joe Ely or did it lead you into Pat Green? And Yeah, I mean, I guess also around that time, you guys, you and Pat, um, I don't know if that was my next discovery, I guess. Like what'd you, when you found out Robert O'Keefe, what'd you, what'd you do? How did you go? Whatever this is, I'm going to find out more. Or did you not even do that? I want to say my next one was actually Patty Griffin. Um, Pretty big leap. Good work. Well, it, it, that one was a freak accident, actually, because I we got double booked at Stubbs on the small stage. <laughs> you and Patty? Well, they booked me on the small stage, forgetting that they had a huge Patty up, Griffin that show. they had a Patty show on the back, the big stage. And it was the day... Flaming the, Red? No. Uh, Thousand Kisses came out. That Whoa. Day, that album release. I think won Grammys. Or should have. I think it eventually did. I mean, it's my favorite record of her, but hers. But um, So, yeah. So, so there was an album release party. And you're how old? Party. Had you put out 20? a record yet? No. So, you're just a kid coming to Austin thinking, hey, man, everything might happen tonight. Yeah, and they showed up, and they could have easily said, "Man, no, you guys get out of here." Um, in typical Austin style, uh, fashion, but they didn't. They were like, "Man, we're so sorry. If you guys want to play after, maybe some of the crowd will stick around." And I was like, "Sure." You know, it was a t- it, I think it was a Tuesday night because didn't wasn't that when albums came out then Tuesdays? Yeah. So it had to have been a Tuesday night or something like that. So so it was a special event for her. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Austin Zone, Patty Griffin, KGSR. CD release party. And she's the queen of the parade, yeah. man. She's the oh, queen was, of Austin. It was she sold was out. Heir apparent to Lucinda. What, what is Stubbs? 2,000? Three. 3,000. So 2,500, 3,000 people there. And they said, well, y'all can go watch the show. And I'd never heard of her. I'd never listened to her. Oh, go down that road. Yeah. What happened that night? I have, to this day, and even up to that point, I've never been floored. Like that. Like, it wasn't even floored. That was knocked straight on my ass. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah, man. Like, that, that that's, was, a, that's a generational talent. Like, yeah. And, and that record was so broke down and so personal. And that's the way she presented it on stage. But she also went into a little bit of the Flaming Red stuff and she would dive into that. But there, there's very few concerts that I remember as vivid as that one in my life. I mean, that was the one where I just like, I stood at the door where where the where the stage is, you know, the inside stage that comes out to the, and mm -hmm. you're on the side kind of. Mm -hmm. That's where we stood. That was, that was really, like a VIP area? That's where we stood to kind of watch our instruments and stuff. And I just like couldn't stop staring, couldn't stop listening, just tractor beam the whole night. And I was... Floored. I went out. The only time I left was to go out and buy the record, buy the CD. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that, that record that, still that to this day is, if it's not my favorite, it's easily. So did y'all go on three. on the indoor stage? After the show. After the show? Over. Yeah, I played for like, everybody left. But I love being the exit music band. <laughs> <laughs> I've emptied more rooms. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've emptied quite a few rooms. We can have a bet on that. I, empty, I was a I was a room emptier for Rodney Carrington one time at City Limits back in that. He day. does a pretty good job of that himself. <laughs> yeah, he, not in Stephenville, Texas. <laughs> <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Stephenville, Texas. They were all titties and beer, you know. They loved it, and uh, we played after him. They were like, "We want y'all to play after, so that people will dance." That never works out. Uh, <laughs> City Limits. City you had Limits. To pay for your own beer. Oh yeah, I never did. That's the only, that's my one claim to fame with City Limits is that uh, VW. First time I was there, and it was packed. I mean, not like it got later for Pat and all that, but like first time I was there, man, it yeah. was full. And uh, he came up to me after the show, and he goes, yeah, it was just like out of the Blues Brothers. Well, it looks to you like you owe us $87.43. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, man. Artists pay for the, all the acts pay for their own liquor. I was like, bullshit. That's the only reason we got in this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm married, so I ain't getting any pussy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I I'm ain't paying for beer. for beer, man. Yeah. Nope. He goes, well, you'll never play her again. I go, fine. Fuck you. Like, I was, and so we tried it another couple times, and I was like, no, I'm never going to pay for a beer. And I don't know, like, I, I know I never in? paid for him, but I also know I never play there anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he always said he'd never work with with women. So Ragweed quit playing there. <laughs> that was a, another stupid mistake. Don't, like, don't. damn it. Um, That's funny. That was, yeah, man. that was an interesting place, and that was you know the, like when we started venturing out of Lubbock, Stephenville was kind of on our. Oh, it was radar, great, man. You know, it was Stephenville was. A, was a, like we can thank Pat Green for that. I think. Yeah. Like he's the one that kind of started going in there and. Killing it in ways where like, oh, maybe there's something's happening there. Yeah. So as you got into, uh, that's just a trip, man. So you, so you weren't really an avid 
like audio file or songwriter file or like like these these artists whether it was Robert or Patty were kind of happenstance like you weren't waking up going I've found this nirvana that I have to that I have to go see what it is so it's not like you like you know if you're going to if you're going to fall in love with Robert then just at that time we used to read liner notes right and so just by doing that alone, you'd go, well, who's Terry Allen? Well, who's this guy? Who's that guy? Who's Lloyd Maines? Who's, and then, and you, there's this natural path that becomes like a path into the mountains where you get, you just go get lost. It doesn't sound like that's what you did. D- did you mm. just keep getting gigs and, and then slowly drift apart from West 84? Cause then it became Wade Bowen and West 84. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, as far as musically, I, I used to go, I don't know what I dove into, but I was always, like I would go to Ralph's Records. That was my stop. I would go in there and look and dig through CDs. That it was a really fun time, you know, for us back then, like to be able to hold it and read through the liner notes and all of those things. It was, I hate that for for the, for the this generation that they don't have that. You know? I think they have their own way of doing it. Oh, totally. They don't, they don't know what they're missing. Obviously they're not missing. They're getting anything. it some other way. Cause, yeah. cause my son's the same way as I am as, as your are like, and he'll come tell me all kinds of crazy facts oh, like, about his favorite too. artist. And I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. Um, but that was what I really enjoyed. So I'd go spend a lot of time at Ralph's records and I remember doing in stores there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a good spot. I mean, I, I don't really remember what all I dove into, but I know it was a lot of that. I mean, it became, I know, I know Guy Clark became more uh, important to me in my life because of that. Uh, I would go back home for Christmas break or whatever, and I would ask my dad questions why he listened to it. And, you know, Waylon, Willie, um, those things just, not that I didn't hear them before, but especially Willie. Willie always got, um, did you did you start kind of dro- dropping your? Uh, but sounds like you didn't really ever have an obsession with it. But like, did 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 the mainstream stuff start to kind of fade as you as you realized? Oh, there's this thing called this. Like, you can be an artist, but you can also be mainly a songwriter. That's what I'm gonna be. Like, you know, it's no accident yeah. that you that you and I became friends, right. or that you and Randy became friends because. Like there's this, there's an element to the whole thing where it's like, we all, I wanted to be Waylon or Willie or Waylon, like where you write your songs and you make them famous or make them impactful. Yeah. Is that? I don't know that I ever thought of it that way. I don't know if I ever thought about that's, I just knew that I wanted to write and go make records and figure it out. I don't know. Were you into singers? Like were you into B.J. Thomas or? B.W. Stevenson or? I've always been into singer. I mean, that's why I love Vince Gill. I mean, I'm, I, um, yeah, I love singers. I love voices. I love Don Henley. Um, I love, uh, I love Credence. You know, that was kind of some other stuff growing up that started, the, the more that I started playing, those, those are the people that I wanted to sing, the Eagles, you know, I wanted to sing that's, that stuff was what I wanted to cover. Um, it wasn't the mainstream country of the late nineties and early two thousands. Uh, I don't even, I couldn't even tell so you, you dropped it. I dropped it. Yeah. I dove into did the you know songwriters. Did you know it was like a bad habit or did you drop it just in favor, <laughs> of, in favor of other like things? It's hot. <laughs> um, 
I just, yeah, I just. Like when you heard Don I just Henley, lost interest. did you understand right away? Oh. I, was, I feel bad, but like Clay Walker's a different animal. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Even though you would have been into the Clay Walker and you would have been into what that was. And, but then when you hear this other thing that is just more of a natural fit for you, because you yeah. had this, like, did you always sound like you smoked four packs of cigarettes <laughs> and had whiskey? <laughs> I don't, I don't, when I first started, I sounded like high squeaky Alvin and the Chipmunks, I felt like. It took me a long time to settle into my voice, for sure. Um, and that's, then I was handed, uh, well, of course, Springsteen is where. Here we go. When he released the Rising record, he also that record rejuvenated his career. He was kind of, you know, the older guy, the older rock and roll guy. And because of nine eleven, he wrote the whole record. It rejuvenated the entire country. You know, behind that record, it was a battle cry for a lot of people. And I really got behind that record first because of what he wrote and how he wrote it and how he approached that whole tour, how he took on the the whole thing for America when people really needed something, you know, and I, I don't know that I necessarily needed it, but I really respected the way that he did it and the way he wrote it. And that record is. I have a question for you, man. Would you have ever been able to take that kind of risk? Like, do you, do you understand the risk he took by taking on the country's grief? Well, I think. Now, there's a lot of people that go like, you arrogant son of a, like, who are you? To I just, you know, I, I think it. Like, that's a big for, risk. Well, I think that's the way everybody perceived it. I think for him, I mean, he used to, he, like, he's got stuff where he was, you know, he would cruise in his boat and you could see the towers from his boat and all of a sudden they're gone. I mean, he, same way we write about Austin, Texas, he's writing about this. No, I get so it. I, he's, I'm just I think saying it was with your, with him. your, with your history with. And I don't think he backed away from taking on those now. kinds of, that's what I'm saying though. Like for you to have such a hero in him. Yeah. Given your history of, uh, with your internal struggle of how much do you expose your own ego and your own, like how far are you reaching? I'm sure that's a scary question for you because if you, if you say I'm reaching for, I'm going to be the fucking best. I'm going to be the top of the top. It's like, it's always seen in, from this conversation, not in a bad way. But that seems like a really risky venture for you. To lay it all on their- on If you're going to play baseball, I want to be better than Babe Ruth. Oh, yeah. That's well, lofty. Well, yeah, but- Springsteen says, if I'm going to play music, I'm going to be as big, as big in this world as Woody Guthrie. Right. Or as big as Willie Nelson. And being that he's your hero, one of your heroes for great reason, I wonder where that sits Maybe. with you because you've never like in my mind what we've talked about a little bit is like how it's is it tell me if I'm wrong. It no, seems difficult maybe, for you to go. I want to be reason. the best that ever was. Maybe that's the reason I like I like his attitude. It's completely the opposite of mine. Maybe that's why I like it so much. But he's so down to earth, like you too. Yeah, I just I love how my biggest thing with him is everything he does. There is a full-blown purpose behind it. There is a direct and passionate purpose behind every song, every album, every show he plays. He never lets off 100%. Right. He's always at full throttle. I admire that a lot. I think that takes a lot of courage, and I think it takes a lot of uh, – 
stamina to to play those. I mean, he's. I, I just I, I admire him for a lot of reasons. Um, do you do that? No, I think you I do. I don't. Well, I I try to. You, that's I've I think never that's seen why you mail in a show or, or no no no. I just think that's why I probably respect him so much because I think I try really hard, especially with the albums and the songs. Man, I try really really hard to make a purpose behind every lyric and every moment within a record. And it's not about the party, even though I love to have fun, but it's not about that for me. I don't feel like it's ever been that way for him either. And I guess that's why I always have such a respect. And when I first dove into that, the rising, and then I started reading some books and diving into his past and man, it's just unbelievable, unbelievable to me. And that was where my second obsession or third now, I guess, after Patty. But um, that's where it kind of started doing that. Even though I don't pattern my shows after him. I don't. No. I mean, you know, I, I'm not a wild run around <laughs> that's crazy. That's obvious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> duh. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the guy who stands there and sings. But I, I do love. Uh, who do you pattern your shows after? If, if anybody. I try really hard not to. You know, I, I try really hard to. <clears throat> try not to pattern songs after stuff. And I, I, you know, I hear people say all the time, well, it sounds like this or it sounds like that. Well, it was never intentional ever. I never, I never listened to a song. And go, I'm going to go write that like right now, you know? Um, and interesting. It, yeah. I just kind of, it just kind of happens and there it is. Um, so, so let me go somewhere else. Cause throughout your career, once, once you got, once you had friends that, I don't know. Well, you'll have to tell me. <clears throat> Once Pat had some success in a Nashville, in a national way, th- out of Nashville, um, Ragweed did to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did to a certain extent. Friends of yours started to go. I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna try and tackle this other thing, and it, and it means taking the risk of all the risks that is of being called a sellout or whatever, or not, or not making the entire jump like you thought you could. And then can you still go back and have an audience? Like all the things that you, that you, that are taken into account when you go try and reach for the brass ring, so to speak. Right. Um, you did that. I did that. Yeah. I went for it. I had all the dream, you know, the, was it burning? What made you do that when you were doing pretty damn well? Was it just because you saw your friends and you're like, well, if they're getting no, no, laid, no. I'm going to get laid? No, no, no. <laughs> I, it had nothing to do with what my friends were doing. I, I just, I'd always wanted that. I mean, I, you know, still, I, I'll, I won't lie. I mean, still to this day, if I have, was handed a situation where I could go succeed on that level and I felt comfortable with it, I would definitely try the major label, everybody thinks it's like a cuss word or something, but it's not. It's not. And you know, I mean, there's a, so many great things. The, the best thing about a major label in those situations is there's no ceiling. You look up and there's not there's nothing holding you back. Right. You know, right now I'm just finished up a record, for example, and I sit here and look at the ceiling and I'm just staring right there like that because I know that that's it's not negativity. It's just the truth. There's only so much right. you can do on an independent level. That's right. That's the reality of it. And Besides so, be great and let that grow on its own. But, right. But as far totally. as like commercial results. But you, how, yeah. And, and just and there's get very, so much. very few moments where you see 
that ceiling be lifted without the help of a major label to get out to the rest of the world. I mean, it's just, That's it's right. really, it's really difficult. Um, it's just the reality of where we, the, the world that we live in. Now. So what kind of a blow, how, how long did you really, how long did you really go after that? So um, the, the, that, that particular dream, so to speak, and go, I'm going to do, I'm going to work within the system. I used to call it playing ball. Yeah. Play ball. Like, Hey man, how long did you? So I that? released uh, Lost Hotel in 2006. That record was where I wanted to, I really was a direct effort of trying to prove myself as a writer. I wanted Jack Ingram to call me like you did. Um, I'm sitting in my old first house that we had bought, brand new baby, scared of the world and you call and we have a conversation on my back porch that I'll never forget. We still, we still think about it. You brought it up earlier. You know, it's like, uh, that's, that's the phone call that I was wanting. That's why I made that record. I wanted to prove myself as a writer mm -hmm. to not my peers, but the people that I respected, you know, that, that age old thing where if you get on stage with, Christopherson, can you can your songs hold hold up? Right, we always talk about that. Absolutely, late night. and you've been a big advocate of that. Hey, don't write shitty songs. You know, can you sit on stage and hold your own? Right, that's what I wanted that record to do. And then 2008 was if we ever make it home, and I wanted that record to be taken seriously as an artist. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be as big as I could possibly be. Right. So you thought it was a progression where first you get the respect of that you're bona fide songwriter, yeah. artist, artist, or songwriter, songwriter. Then the next step would be, okay, now we. Yeah. And if, if the I. Sta the Stapleton thing. Yeah. Where, where, you, where you get respect yeah. and then, then you take it to the next and level. And I also felt like with Lost Hotel too, like proving myself as a writer would help me get on shows, would help me get opening acts and people, you know, wanting me to go play shows. And it did. I mean, I got in front of crowds and got in front of people and started building a career off of that. So where, where do you think was the disconnect in that the label you were on? What label were you on? I was on B&A Columbia. Now it's Columbia National. Oh, sorry, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. So was that the disconnect? Did they not really know what your aspirations were? Did they not take you seriously as a commercial artist? Because I know for a fact, I don't know who for a fact was on that label, but I know for a fact at any given moment on a label like that, Columbia, Sony, whatever. There's going to be artists that don't even know what we're talking about when it comes to Guy Clark or B.W. Stevenson or Steve Earle. Or they're just looking at us like, what? You either make it or you don't. Right. Like, who yeah. gives a shit what song you're singing? Why do you give a fuck what Jack Ingram thinks about you? Right. As long as Tim McGraw knows your name and all the radio stations do, you're good. So there are those kinds of artists which – that's why they're so successful because they don't know there's this other world you can it's dark underworld <laughs> you can live in. Yeah, yeah. So was that it? Is it did the label not understand your aspirations? Did um, I'm asking that selfishly too? Because yeah, <laughs> man, you know, I mean, your story is probably as long as mine. Um, well, longer because you had more success on the national. Because I'm just older. No, but I mean, you're you know you. I think you know, like our buddy John Randall, like you know, he's got 
he's been on four different major record label, right? Like four four different deals or something like that. Hey man, there's a lot of similarities between awesome. John Randall and you. Yeah. No, and on a level that we're talking about as far as the, the part that I always seem to argue with you about, he also was a facilitator and a and a guy who is okay with being a little bit further yeah. back. Mm -hmm. I with but you know I I I say all that because it's like I think everybody has their sob story. Is my point? Like everybody's like, damn the label they they screwed me over. I don't feel that way. I my my deal was. Well, I hope I'm not setting it up that way because that's not what I think. No, 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 no. I, I think a lot of people. That's kind of the way. It's kind of the stereotype when you don't when it doesn't work out right. You kind of throw throw the label under the bus. It wasn't that way. My my whole deal, I honestly believe this, was just timing. It was really bad timing. Joe Galani had just left, and uh, Gary Overton had come in, who was my guy. He's the guy who signed me. He believed in me uh, 100%. But everything underneath him was a revolving door. That door, oh, that the moment I would tough. get to know somebody, they would be, they would be let go or if they would quit. And my – uh, so they radio were team that you go fly out and hop in the car with and drive around the country. They were all over the place. Nobody knew what was going on. There was um, no real leadership. No, well, is Gary they had still figured there? it out. And now they're one of the best labels in I was town. About to say, is Gary still there? And he's done. No, Gary's Gary's done. So he was the interim quarterback. Yeah, well, they, he tried. You know, he he's man. I love Gary. He was he was um he and I really you know he 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 really wanted me to work. You know, he really did. I believe yeah, that. But when you come. When you come, like, for people that don't understand or that aren't in the music business, think of it as like Sony was a sports franchise and Joe Vellante yeah. was Bill Belichick and Tom yeah. Brady yeah. combined. And then you got to take over for that job. And then if Bill Belichick and Tom Brady left, yeah, it, then it was, it's like you're, you're going to have some missteps. Yeah. And my deal was I handed on 14 songs. Um. We came up with this weird way to only release 10 of them. That's, I don't want to get into it, but that's what we did. Then they were disappointed because it wasn't selling. I'm like, well, it, we don't have a single out. Like, you're not doing your normal thing. You're just expecting me with my reputation. Oh, so they were thinking that because you're from Texas yeah. and you fill butts and seats. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's, what I, that's what I was kind of asking. Like, did, did the label, I remember talking to Randy a couple of times. When he but was, they really did. Like Gary loved my songs first. It had nothing to do with my stereotype back home of no, no, selling but he, records. Either he didn't know or just- He thought I was bigger than I was maybe. Or maybe. like Because I remember the first time I put out a record on a label and I go, hold on. How many ads did we get? They're like, oh, well, we're not really doing it that way. I'm like, yeah, okay. Then a couple years later, when it did happen, I go- this is what I'm talking. If you're not on the road, dog ass tired from Sunday night until Thursday before you fly out to another show, and then you do Thursday, Friday, Saturday shows, and you fly and meet the radio guy on Sunday, then wake up at four in the morning. Like unless right. you're doing that, you're not. Working. It ain't gonna happen, right? <laughs> and I, I did a, a lot of that with Saturday night, and then they, my guy, my cheerleader Brian Fraser left. And started managing and doing some other stuff. So brought in a new guy who had no clue and it just fell off the deal. And then they, I sat, the biggest, to make a very long story short, I don't, I don't have any bad blood. It was just bad timing. And I sat over there from the moment 
a new guy came in to work radio and and supposedly try to make me a number one hit. Uh, he had 13 other songs to work with, with which the given record. I really am proud of that record. Yeah. And he had some quality songs, I feel like, to work. And I sat over there for a year with nothing. They didn't follow up another single. They couldn't figure out what to do with me. Everything that had been talked about was gone. And at the same time, what other artists were they breaking? Tyler, They were trying to break Tyler Farr, and they were trying to break uh, Casey um, – Oh geez, I'm sorry, Casey. Musgraves? No. Casey Fisher? Beathard? <laughs> yeah. Beathard? Jeez. Um, anyway. Casey Beathard? No, it was uh, the Casey guy that was Bat? on the cat. The, the guy that was on uh, American Idol. Or Sunshine Band. Casey. Anyway, he was, Casey. On, he was on one of those deals. But what uh, other existing? What other existing? So they have Miranda. Well, no, but that wasn't different. It was so. What other like what major stars did they have? They had Kane Chesney. Oh, no big deal. They had Kane Chesney, and then they had the three of us, and they were pushing those guys' uh, singles ahead so of. So apparently, over Casey and over. didn't make it either. No. <laughs> 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 and Tyler Farr is still hanging in there somehow. I don't far, know where far, he is. Far. I don't know where he is. Um, I think he's. He's he, doing well. He did all right, right? No, he's, he's doing, doing well. Right. Yeah, he's still playing, doing well. I think he's still at the label, actually, or maybe somewhere. But Casey James. Casey James. Thank you. So his name was Casey James. <laughs> <laughs> Casey, sorry, Casey man. James. It happens to the best of us. No, he's a good guy. <laughs> I just uh, brain farted there. Whiskey farted. Um, okay, so that was two records. One record. So that I was sat, it. I sat over there for a year. With nothing. And I went in early. Uh, it was about a year to the day from the moment Saturday night kind of fell off. And so I said, you know, is, is, do we have any other plans to release any other songs? Or I'm not waiting tables down the road. I've got right. a career. Like I have a career. Let me I go have, back. Either I have I, stuff yeah. that I need to go do, you know. Or get off the pot. Yeah. And they said, well, let's go cut some more songs. And I was like. That I'm old out. game. Yeah, I'm out. I'm not going to do that again. So and you walk. So I walk. And, then that's and they let you, me out. Yeah. Thank God. Or I, it would have been, they could have left me there miserably unhappy. And Gary, Gary that's wasn't happy respectful. with it, man. He, But he did. He did it because he liked me and we get along still to this and day. And his hands are probably tied, man. I'm, can you imagine, where was he before that? He was um, president of a publishing company. Uh, a publishing uh, company. So can you imagine what, he's, he's walking in in the wake of, uh, What's his name? Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't. Galante. I don't. I don't and he probably had no it. idea of the realities of like just how cutthroat that is to get singles played. Not only one single, but every week you got to get 10 ads on three different. Like it's just a whole thing. Yeah. Unless you're Scott Borchetta or, or what's his name again? <laughs> Galante or. I don't, I don't, I don't hold any grudges against anybody over there because they all. They all really wanted it to work, and it was really satisfying knowing that there was that many great people. I mean, there, there's some of them like David Friedman, and um, there's there's so many good guys. Though uh, Chris Waters was there, Mark Janice was there if when I, I was there. You know, it's like, <laughs> there, there was there were so many great relationships out of that that I really wished would have worked because it was it was a fun group and it was a fun deal. And I going back to what we've been talking about this whole time, I wanted it to work. I wanted to be. I, I didn't, I don't, uh, the star is a really, that's like throwing around the word legend. You know, everybody uses the word star. They you overuse the word legend, but 
Unless you're Jack Ingram, I guess. No, I'm just that, – that's just where you and I always get into arguments. Like, I think it's overused, you know, way too much. But um, I just never cared about necessarily being a star. I just wanted to see how – I just wanted to see how big it could get. Was my right. Deal. I, that's all I really cared about. And I hate that it wasn't – that the stars didn't align – for it, for me to figure out how far it would have gone. I bet you're. I bet every time you've hung out with Mark Chestnut, you're friends with him. Yeah, I'm friends with Mark and understand him, and he understands you. <laughs> yeah, where's where does that come from? <laughs> I understand everybody, Jack. I've got a good listening ear. I just think there's a there's a there's a certain type of personality. I don't think it's I don't think it's I'm, this is not a judgment or good or bad, but like it, it just reminds me a little bit of like. You know, getting voted, I remember like in, whenever he was having huge hits, right when Garth Brooks was breaking. And I had seen him play at like Cowboys in Dallas or somewhere. And he was stand up there, deliver the goods. Sing I'm a badass. Here's what I do. Yeah. And I don't give a damn what you think. Although I want you to love me, just like I love George Strait. Mm-hmm. And then Garth Brooks hits. And everyone's like, you got to do more. You got to be more. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to combine all this electricity. And then I saw him at, at uh, like Farm Aid or something at Texas Stadium. And he was running around like a monkey going to the edges of the stage. And doing, And I was like, "That's that was when I first in my mind, even though I wasn't an artist and I wasn't trying to be, I just remember thinking like, why is he trying to be Garth? He ain't that. Like, I've never, he'd probably hit me in the face for saying that now, but like, there's this underrated thing where it's like. He's the old school guy. He's the George Jones type people that like, man, you do, they're country meat. You just stand there and sing, man. You do your thing. Right? I mean, that's, that's what Chestnut is. And that's what he always has wanted to be. And right. Still but, does. So then being conflicted about being a star right. versus being an artist. Being conflicted about that, in my mind, it's hard for me to reconcile because I go, somehow, somehow, you either accept who you are completely or you go, in order to be the artist I want to be. I'm going to have to do this. I got to be a star too. Yeah. It's almost like it's collateral or something. I, I, I never worried about having to like having to like do something I, 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 I always was pretty confident I was not going to do anything I wasn't comfortable with a hundred percent you know I was not gonna that's great to have I was man. not gonna but I was you not gonna dance but you, but you don't wear it on your sleeve like a badge no because you know you probably dealt with this but a big thing that the hardest part of me being on the label was um how do we make this Texas guy work to the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And I'd be like, well, nobody else, none of these other stations know what I do in Texas. You know, like if you're going to stereotype me there, then, you know, it was like, well, how do we make it Texas music to the world? It's like, no, have you not listened to my music? That's always been a trip. But my music is not Texas music. It's music from Texas. That's what I've always prided proud of myself on. So stop saying that. Stop stop throwing that out there for them to for to enter their brains because it's you're just setting me up to fail because they're not going to play a, a kid from Texas music. Right. But they can play a kid from Texas if it's done right and presented right. 
And so that was the big fight because Pat had just started to kind Fucked of fall, all all, all of fall all the charts, you know? <laughs> and so that was the conversation we had on all these meetings was how do we, how do we, how does it work? And I'm like, if you can't see the difference, you know, like, then like why? Like Margaret why, George Strait. Yeah. Or yeah. the Generation or X George Strait. Yeah, it's like, like, there's, you know, well, there's a Miranda way to do this. Miranda's a different animal. But still. We both know that. But yeah. So. That was the biggest battle. Here's one of the things that I've, that I've found interesting over the past. So when did you get off that label and, and went to make the record with Gaddis or was that right away or? No, no, no. I, I made two records with Justin. No, I made, I made the given with Justin Ebank and then I made another record with him off the label. The one that I was going to make for the, for the label immediately. I, I what year was that? To, uh, I couldn't even tell you, man. 2011. 2012. Okay, so one of the things that that I've been really interested to, to ask you about and to, and to talk to you about for all these years, because when we get on the bus and we talk about whatever we're going to talk about, all our tangents go all the way to the moon <laughs> and back. But when Which it comes to just about our friendship, yeah, and I love it. Yeah. But one of the things that I like about doing this is that somehow my brain stays a little more, a little more into what I really want to know because what I have been in incredibly impressed with over the past eight years is everything that you thought you wanted your career to be at this other level with Sony and having that just there are friends of mine that say if that's either going to work out or it's not man that ain't up to you yeah, that's the way I feel. Yeah. It didn't have to me. It didn't have to you. It didn't have to the stars. It's just fucking going to happen or not. Yeah, I agree. And the ability for you just to go, to to leave some of your lofty aspirations, which I would argue are hard for you to verbalize. Yeah. That you wanted to be bigger than George Strait, if possible. Because right. that seems like sacrilege to you. Right. So to accept those and get on Sony and try and do everything you could to do that, for it not to work out spectacularly, every dream that you wanted out of that Sony deal did not come true. Right. <laughs> not even close. Right. To have the whole world right there and it just- And just go- Sorry, how, never mind. What's well, like, how do I get in there? And you're like, I see the party happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me in. <laughs> you can't get in. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly what Okay. Somehow you you skipped the part where you go home for three or four years and lick your wounds <laughs> and don't just get right back to the grindstone you were at before when I first met you, which is okay. I'll be a I'll be a blue collar Texas songwriter badass that mm -hmm. that takes his craft seriously, whether it's known or not. It's not up to me to judge. Like get back to work. You, you didn't spend a bunch of time. Like you came back home and made another record. And got on the road, and yeah, you've been working ever since. Yeah, I made one immediately, and actually, I, I let that fuel the fire for that record immediately. The moment, I think it was like February or March when I decided, "Can y'all please let me go? It's easier if you let me go than if I leave, because I know all the attorneys are going to have a field day with that. You know how that works." And Gary let me go. It was like cool. You have your release. You're good. And I immediately started planning the next record because I wanted to. I let that fuel the fire of like, I'm going to prove to them that they made a mistake. They messed this up and I want to show them. So that was a little bit of the fire. Did, did your fans from Texas, <clears throat> like, did your fans from Texas ever be like, what, now you want to come back to us? No, because I never, 
it never the only thing that they saw was Saturday night get to number thirty nine on the charts. So you they saw nothing. So, so in hindsight, you think that's lucky? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's. So you I can't never remember. did like a lips of an angel thing, or <laughs> 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 where you really went for some fucking t- titties and brass. <laughs> <laughs> I never did, but I wasn't offered the chance either. I probably would. <laughs> so. Um, and, and Given I, the chance, someone, I'd sell out. <laughs> I can't remember who said it. it might have been you, but I can't remember. Someone said that to Randy. He was complaining about because Randy was on that on MCA for ten years, and you know he never had a hit go above thirty eight. And someone said, "Don't you think that's probably the best thing that ever happened to your career?" Because if he'd have gone number, well, five you either go one, all the way or you don't go. It, it, he would have had a lot of those people go sell out, sell out. You know, well, that's, not, that's, why, to deal I, with that. that's why I did the lips of an angel thing because I was like, you don't have the you don't have the joy of hindsight. Right. All I know is that, hey, man, one of the things that they do in these other worlds is you take a badass rock song, yeah. you Gary Allen it up, you vertical horizon it up, whatever, and you make that work, and it's just another thing that you just do. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, you either go big or go home. Like, it either works or you go figure it out after that. But if you have the chance, you do it. So I never had that. I never, Right. That that. If, uh, as a fan of Wade Bowen, you never saw any of this that we've talked about. You know, you never saw any of that. As a fan, you only saw me get signed to a major label, have a song that kind of, in Texas, it actually was like, it's a great it was a song. a top 20 song in Texas. It's a great know? song. And then it just disappeared for a year or a year and a half until a new record came out. So they didn't really understand any of that, you know, under, understand all was of that. Was that by design? Like, did you not talk about it publicly much or did you just no, go about no, your business? No, I didn't want to badmouth anybody. I, I felt like if I started talking about the label or any of that, then it would automatically go to like, screw Nashville, you know, and I was like, because that was not the case. Hold I on, loved, I you, loved didn't it. You pop, didn't you pop off or tune in or chime in? Oh, I did have songs about trucks. In between. Which is great. But I'm talking about, I remember like two years ago or three years ago, there was an argument going on on social media about somebody made the the equivalent comparison to I'm glad I had my time in Texas because it was like being in the minor leagues. Oh yeah. And now that I'm doing this, I know how to which Gr- yeah, Granger. And you got pissed. I did. I posted it and caught a lot of shit for it. How do you feel about that now? I wish like, I could understand it what he's saying to a certain extent. Here's here's why I got pissed about it because the, there's one there's there's other ways to say that than to say I'm glad I had the minors to prepare me for the majors that you know at that point there was people who who he would you know he couldn't draw hardly anybody in this region or the state of Texas and yeah he, but that dude that other dude could Buster Dibbles. What, no, no, no. This is before that, and you know, before that all took off, and then that's what kind of got him going. So, I mean, he, you know, like he and he and I talked about this after I made the post. He and I got on the phone. Of I'd course, never you even, reconciled with. I him. never even met, I never even met the guy, so I feel bad for for saying it because that's not my style at all to call somebody out. All I said was, "Cheers, here, cheers to the miners." Which I believe in this. I believe in Texas music going back to Willie and Waylon in the seventies, and what the fact that we're the only scene 
that's lasted 50 years and we can we can never leave Longer the state and that, we can we can make never leave the state and, play, and make a living that's what we all say that's what everybody says about us from the outside looking in so to call it the minors to me was a huge insult when you're on a major label and you're on the national scene and you have a chance to talk great about your home state and you call us the minors that was the only thing i had with it and granger and i talked about it and like I didn't even know the guy before then. You now were probably he's, one of his he's, heroes. Dude, he's one of my he's he's one of my favorite people now. Like he because of that disagree the disagreement that we had, we I, I really respect him. Oh, he's uh, so two faced. He hates you. <laughs> he's a great guy, man. And <laughs> he's and, a great guy. And I, I respect what he's doing now. And I just I just really felt like uh it was a little bit of a knock. And that's why I got upset with it. That's the funny part. I remember I remember seeing you get been out of shape about it. But I understand what he meant. Not now knowing do. now knowing him, I would have never said it if I like. Knew. Hey, if this works in Texas, yeah. And uh, since I know how to sell tech, sell records in Texas, sell tickets in Texas, go out and tour in Texas, which he'd done for a little bit, right? It's just like any other business that has a nationwide or global aim. Like Garth Brooks could have been the king of, king of Oklahoma, but Oklahoma did at the time didn't have the same kind of music scene that Nashville did. And he, so it's, it, it's always kind of been this thing where it's like, yeah, man, Willie and Waylon, but they also went to Nashville to, to make it on a, to, to celebrate Texas, mm -hmm. but to make it on a larger stage. I mean, I, I know that was my dreams. Like, well, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Well, in Texas it does, but I want to make a sound everywhere. So that's, that's been a age old thing for us. Right. Which is what we've had to struggle with. Because once you get up there, they're like, oh, you're from Texas. You're one of those ornery sons of bitches. You're one of those people that won't play ball. It's like, no, I'll play ball. As long yeah. as you play the right kind of ball. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you play get, the same kind get, of game I'm playing. We get punished because we know who we are and who we want to be as artists. And we get punished for it. Which is not that – that, that's that happens infrequently in Nashville. Most people go, now that I got the record deal, who, who do you want me to be? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like yeah. – what? Sing this. Well, Let's I guess go. this worked for this guy. Go be him. Yeah. Because he's getting older. And that's much easier on, for, for them to deal with. So my whole point was not really necessarily to, to talk about that. It's more like what I've really loved is, is your ability to take all these things in stride and go, okay, that, that didn't work out the way I wanted it to. But this does. I'll clock back in over here at this other job. And get back to work. Like, yeah. What else are we supposed to do? I mean, you know, well, it's, like, it's just a trip. It's because to watch you it. do it, you do it gracefully, and you do it. Well, you do it in a way that's you. that's quiet and respectful. I'm not going to say I didn't get bitter. I'm not going to get angry because I, I went through that phase. I just I hit it really well, and I tried to feel it into two records. And you know the 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 record I made out of the Sony deal was one I was really excited about. I'd I'd written uh, which record is that? That's that's the self-titled. That was the first record when I when I left uh, Columbia. Okay, it's the self-titled, the Way Bowen record, and it had "Sunshine's on a Dreamer" and "West Texas Rain." Oh yeah, those and are great songs, uh, man. Um, I don't know, bunch bunch of cool songs on that record. Did it also it, have the one that I always ask you to play? Uh, I think you wrote it with Stapleton. Oh, till it does. No, that was uh, that was on that was another thing of being out of the label and the freedom to do whatever we want. That's where the whole my beer thing came from. 
was Randy had just gotten out of the label too there. So um, it was a perfect time for us both to just kind of middle finger it and see what happens. And so speaking of middle fingers, which I love about, because a whole lot of this conversation is also about how you don't really very readily use the middle finger. <laughs> right. Like I should. Like you want to or don't want to. That's up to you. I'm more adept at it. Yeah. You know, because right. that's my blustery way. Like, it's not because I'm better or worse. It's just like. That's your style. What you do and yeah. what I do. But what I've always loved about hanging out with you, especially late at night, is. Paul. Paul. Can we talk about Paul for a minute? <laughs> you really want to? Was that us that bring that up? That's you? why you're here. <laughs> yeah. That's why most people like Because this guy that I'm like, hey, man, I know there's this other part of your brain that's like, uh, yeah. like Andy Kaufman. Who's, who's Andy Kaufman's manager? Uh, I don't know. Look, you'll now see a graphic. <laughs> But he comes out and he's not like, the, you know, Andy Kaufman, like the meek. And then this other manager comes out who's obviously Andy Kaufman or it's not. And he's like, fuck you, motherfucker. You, you, we're getting out of here. The throw breaks bottles. Just, yeah. And Paul. Paul's my. Your alter ego, your guy who's like, yeah. does he, does he get to say mean shit that you just can't bring yourself to say? Yeah. Unfortunately he does. I have to wake up. It's like, it's like that. <laughs> me myself and Irene movie. <laughs> Jim Carrey, the uh what's his alter ego's Hank or something, or that's that's the way it is. Like I, I he says and does things that I wouldn't do. Funny, Jim Carrey played Andy Coffin in the movie. There you go. Because he, so he really understands it. So Paul was my grandfather's name that started Bone Electric as well. So So was he a dick? <laughs> no. Because Paul is. I, actually I never met him. But, <laughs> um Did he have a was he outlandish? Was he more of a character than no, I just uh, that's, that's just my first kind of your name. thing. That's my first name, so I just. Go oh, so with that. Paul's your. So when he comes out, man, people is, either love Paul, I love or him. they hate him, and hate him. Yeah, but when he comes out, is it a do you, do you feel him like I know we're I'm, I'm making this know. into something more real than it is because most times, but is it a conscious decision to go? You know what, man? No, it's not. I'm going to let this happen because I'm tired of shit. No, it's not conscious at all. Uh, sadly, sorry to say that, but it's not. Um, but that's my, I have a hat that I got made in Key West. Becca that makes the inappropriate trucker hats. I have one that I said, please, I need you to make me this one. Who the hell put Paul on the guest list? Because I never know when he's going to show up. And that's the truth. I mean, it really, it kind of depends on the funk that I'm in. Or but it doesn't seem like it's an inebriation thing. It does. I mean, maybe I know Probably that. Is, yeah, I know that it happens oftentimes when you're drinking or doing whatever you're doing. But it doesn't feel like Paul ain't sloppy. No, no, he's not slurring his words or any of that. But um, there's a. I, I will say this: I have a brain that like never turns off. Right. That's that's why I'm kind of quiet most of the time. Most of the time, I'm just sitting absorbing it all and like my brain never stops thinking never stops working never stops overthinking never stops worrying like and you are you wondering where my angles are no no i'm just saying it it never stops like it just i can't ever turn it off i can't ever right. turn the business off i can't ever turn the whatever I, it just never turns so when i when i get to a point in the night where i can actually do that i think is where paul comes out because so actually I you're a worrying. dick 
I stopped worrying. I stopped caring. So as soon as you become your real self, you be- I stopped caring. Paul comes out and maybe Paul is yeah. exactly who you are. I want you to but send Paul to therapy. And he would like- That's what Paul Thorne says. He says that we are who we are. Everyone tries to blame it on on alcohol. On like, but he says that we become who we really are. I agree. And I think you can get there without alcohol or without anything else. Oh, totally, totally. And I think- But he says the, people use it as an excuse. I agree. One of the reasons why I'm always badgering you, like I have for the last hour and a half, is that the whole thing about having lofty goals, but not really feeling comfortable saying, I want to be bigger than George Strait. I want to be bigger than Garth Brooks. I want to be a better songwriter than all you motherfuckers. Like the killer mentality that's in there. That's Paul. Now, Paul doesn't have to be a dick about it, but you haven't given him a chance to, well, to, 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 uh, to sand out the rough edges and be like, okay. Right. Meet Paul in the middle and be like, Jack, if you think I don't want to write songs better <laughs> than Paul Thorne, better than you, better than Willie, better than, like, then why the fuck would I be doing this? Because I can, like, not because I'm, comp- but we, this is where we right. get to all the time. Because I'm like, right. wait, I'm, I'm not sure I'll ever get there. But if you don't state what you want, how are you going to get there? Because it ain't going to be by luck. Um, but somehow you've gotten, like, that's, that's no degradation on, yeah. your songs are badass. They've stopped me in my tracks. So long, Sixth Street. I just, and- I've always just tried to be, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily need any of that. You know, I don't need that. Um, I don't need to have goals of needing to be bigger or better than someone. That's just not what's important to me in my life. It never has been with anything. My My important thing is, having integrity and having being honest, you know, like yeah. at the end of the day, they say, you know, they always say, where do you want to be in 10 years? Like the only, th- the only answer I've ever had is I just want people to talk great. I want them to say he, he, he was a good, he's a good dude. He carried himself well. He did what was right. You know, the things that my parents taught me, I want to, you know, I still, I still. F- well, you got that. In spades, I still, you know, I still feel like I talked to my parents all the time and still ask them for those things. Like, you know, Hey, give me some advice. Like, tell me, tell me how to, you know, be a good kid, be a good dude, you know? And, and so those are the things that really matter to me. Does your dad laugh at you at this point? How old is your dad now? 70 something? 70. Does he go, dude? No, he loves it. That's because his ego is bigger than yours. (laughs) Exactly. No, but he loves it. I guarantee it, man. Anybody that knows like this, he loves it. Of course, man. I wish I, I, yeah, I love my dad, but I can't call him up and ask him for that kind of advice. Like we're just not there anymore. But it's funny to me because everything that you just said you want to be, that you've said for ten years, like who you want to be in ten years, it's like everything that you said. Well, here's what I want to be is like. Well, you already did that. Mm-hmm. That's that's there without it, without a blink of an eye, man. Now, what would Paul say? <laughs> Where does he want to be in 10 years? Um, now? Paul you, feels real to me for some reason. But he feels, yeah, he feels real to a lot of people. Um, I, you know. Is Paul the guy that gets pissed off when we're supposed to be somewhere at five and I show up at 515 and you're like, 
sometimes. Fuck you, Ingram. How come Paul's you- the guy that like when I like I, I I will kind of take it and take it and take it and just and then I'll take it a lot longer than most. Like I will I will I'll um, get pushed and get pushed and then all of a sudden erupt. You know that's where the Paul comes in. Where you just lose it, and that—that's kind of a uh, my my mom's side of the family. That's their trait, like pretty sweet people until we get pushed to the limits. So you're the you're the you're the straw that broke the camel's back kind of guy. Kinda yeah, anger. like kind of oh man, and then you go over the line, you know? right? And uh, but but I don't know, man. I don't know how that really. Uh, I see affects it. my career. Well, you know? I don't think it affects your career. I, however, I, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> not not a. There's nothing ne- like that's a whole thing is like s- discussing this stuff for me is, oh, yeah. is more of an, uh, is more of like, huh? Well, if in 10 years, if you've been saying the same answer for 10 years and I guarantee you for the last 20 years in 10 years, you've, you've been exactly who you said you were before that. Yeah. Well, you want to be the guy who's honest, integrity shows up and does the job, gets there on time, does sound check, signs the autographs. It's good to his fans. Makes do my re- job right. Do okay. And, but and Paul, every, is, and Paul sometimes like, is the guy like that's the guy who's underneath there going, how come how come so and so gets to act like a prick and everybody still loves? In fact, he's selling more tickets than me. How come so and so gets to be a drunk? How come so and so gets to be an asshole? And Paul's going, fuck those guys, because <laughs> of course I could act that way, of course. but I don't because it's not right. Of course. Okay. Well, we all have that. Yeah, there there's a uh there's a part of there's a part of that that comes out for sure. I mean, I I I see people fly by all the time. Younger artists that are opening for me and then all of a sudden they're going by. Or even my peers that I'm like, you know, why does everybody love this guy so much or that woman so much or whatever when it's I I've always my mentality has never been about how successful can I be? My mentality has always been do the work, do the work and, and everything else will take care of itself. That's the reason I jumped straight back into more records when the label thing fell apart. That's the reason I've always pushed myself because I just keep myself busy by working my ass off and I feel like everything else will take care okay, of Okay, let itself. me ask you this. My dad has always said, you take care of the small money and the big money take care of the pennies takes care of itself, of- right? It's true. So that's what I've always done. That's my mentality. I, hey, you Peyton go to work. Manning, Deion Sanders. Who you choose? Peyton Manning. Every day. Every chance. Every 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 time. Orange Fanta or Big Red? Big Red. Big Red. <laughs> Those aren't opposites. <laughs> they're not opposites, but they're very different. Okay. O- Orange Crush or Big Red? <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're going with Big, Big Red, Red still? I'm going with Big Red. <laughs> this is easy because you're from Texas, but McDonald's or Whataburger? Waterburger. George Strait or Garth Brooks? George Strait. Of course. And here's, another- our, here's one. Hold up. 1970s, early 80s. Dallas Cowboys, Houston Oilers. Oh, Cowboys. So see, there's Paul. <laughs> But Paul is the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, but let's say this. 
Wade is the Houston do, Oilers. Do you always think that um, everyone that I, I don't believe that everyone that is successful has like a this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to make this happen. I wanted to be a star. I think there's a lot of people, especially in the music business, that it happens easily, happens fast, and it happens uh, without a whole lot of work, without a whole lot of. Okay, and w- and what's your theory behind that? Like, how does why do you think that happens? Is it happenstance? Well, we are in a profession that does not it is all happenstance everything in my opinion there's people that work harder than others there's people that are way more talented than others but none of that matters it only matters like this rare little thing that works for some people and some people don't i agree with you you can't control that like i i was raised in a family that i was taught from the moment i mean i worked for my dad at 12 years old at byford machinery and uh Valley Mills, Texas. It was my first job for Bone Electric, putting on plug covers and stuff, you know. So 12 years old working. So do people often think that vacation. it's bone, like B-O-N-E electric? Because the way you say it is bone electric. Bone electric? Not Bowen. Well, that's my <laughs> Waco accent. But there's a what was I saying? Oh, I didn't mean to do that. What was I saying? Oh no, you but like I was raised that way. Like, you know, if you the harder you work, the more things are going to happen for you. You know, like if yeah. you're an electrician, you work harder, you put more hours in, you're going to get paid more. You're going to get, you're going to, you know, with almost any job in the world, you're going to get paid more. You're going to, you're going to be more successful. It is not the case with music. And we see it over and over and over again. There's people that do the work and there's people that don't do the work. And there's no rhyme or reason why one works and the other doesn't. That's the hardest part. And also, the coolest part about music, the the wild card, the the the, the, the why did that happen a- aspect of careers that I've come to turn to accept that some people just take off and it has nothing to do with talent, it has nothing to do with any other reason that for some reason they convince people to they be, to believe them what they're saying more than they do me, more than I do to them. Does that make sense? It does make sense, and I and I think and that's something you can't to, control to a large extent. You're you're really right. I, however, I do think there are generational talents. Uh, two things of what you just said that I, that I look at and go, okay, what do you think about this? Then, when you're talking about who makes it out of thirty acts get signed, there's five that make it. And we're not talking about Whitney Houston. We're not talking about Carrie Underwood or Miranda or Stapleton. We're talking about the acts that make it and have really good careers. Mm-hmm. I think that's because there's they're not conflicted. From my perspective, I was always conflicted of like, how do I how do I reconcile needing to keep my integrity, needing to keep my just whatever that staunch Texas thing is like, man, I'm not your monkey. I want to be a star. I want to make all that happen so I can be better artist and then be a star and be better artist. Cause that's what I felt like Willie did. So I was always having these, I know that's a hit, but I can't cut that. But I ain't going to cut that. Right. And the label's going, dude, why not? I'm like, I don't know. And then the four years later, I hear back the same song and I'm like, I could have cut that. 
My brain was just somewhere else. So I think there's that. But then also I think that it's not happenstance. Like you and I both, well, we, we both knew Miranda when she was 15, or I, she was coming to shows and I've, I saw her grow up. And the minute I saw her, I go, there's something different about, like first time I met her, she was a, the first act on a 12 act bill in Nacogdoches. And I was there because my transmission was broken. So I couldn't go to the hotel. And I was like, who's that chick? And then I was on the same label with Taylor Swift. And I go, oh, that's a different deal. And I'm, people would send me Chris Stapleton songs as demos for Is me. Is Taylor Swift a generational? Yes. Because- it might not be because she's Ray Charles. Right. It's not because she's Stevie Wonder. Because of who she is. It's because she's Garth she, Brooks. She, yeah, she plays the game. Plays ball. Plays ball. She is the game. Yeah. And she figured out what but it she was. she wasn't at one point. No, from the minute I met her, dude, she knew exactly who she was going to be. And if she didn't make it, she was going to fail spectacularly. But there's no fail. Yeah. Like, the, that's what I'm talking about. Like, there was just no doubt. Like, the same way, like, Garth Brooks isn't George Strait, but- George Strait for sure ain't Garth Brooks. And they both know it. It's knowing who you are. And I think Stapleton was all, like, I remember getting demos from Stapleton. I'm sure you got them too. And you wrote with them where you're just like, I don't know how this is going to work, but if this doesn't work, then I need to be out of the business. Yeah. Because this is, like, he's Stapleton he's made, what, three records, four records now? Stapleton, None of them are the same. But Stapleton went through a lot of his life and career not knowing what he wanted. I mean, that's why he's the lead singer of a bluegrass band, but he's also making rock records with the Johnson brothers. And I mean, well, that's because he has the same brain as you where it just keeps moving and it keeps, he just yeah, totally. uses it in a different way. I just mean, it's with certain people, it's not happenstance. It is by design. They're just that good. Yeah. Like Willie Mays is going to be Willie Mays, no matter if he thought he was going to be a ball player. Yeah. I mean, and I think for for some of them, it just comes very easily, very naturally. It's just they're um, they're just blessed to have that, you know. It's like uh, same reason somebody looks like and other people look like me, you know. <laughs> like uh, there's a their their God given muscle, you know. I mean, like it's you know, so there's, funny, some, man, there's a lot like, of it's God given. Like, wh- okay, what do you think you're naturally? What do you think when you opened your mouth or you, you picked up, you said, I want to do music. What do you think you do better or did better than anybody you knew? When I first started or now? That you knew kind of from the start. Like I can do this because, and take the work. Like we, I know the work ethic was there. Your dad, your granddad, bone electric. Always want to sing. Right. Always want to sing. That's all I want. And did you always know you were good at it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I was shy you, about it. But because always you always knew. were good at it. Like first time I met you or when I called, when I called you and go, Hey man, this record's great. The reason I called you is I was like, I knew you could sing. That's not the point. Cause dude, you have a voice that in my mind, I've always been like, Hey man, that's kind of like Michael McDonald or Stapleton or James Otto or Delvin McClinton. Yeah, well, thanks. People that just open their mouth and I, they, and I go, oh, I better be great at songwriting because I ain't ever going to sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was I always wanted to sing first, and then I figured out how to write after that, you know. So or tried tried to figure out how to write. 
uh, writing was not first and foremost for me. I guess that's the reason I started playing guitar and I always wrote, but it wasn't necessarily the end goal. The end goal was to try to, um, you know, do the major label thing, be the star, uh, be the, or not star, but just kind of see, be on the bigger level, you know, like, so you wanted to, you wanted to get noticed for all of it. When I first started, somehow yeah. pretend like you didn't want to be a star, but you could be the reluctant star, like Tom T. Hall. Or <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, like I said, when I, saw <laughs> I, I know Robert, I'm putting your feet to the fire. On when this, I but saw it's Robert Earl, it changed. Like I saw you can go play the bars and all that. And I, but he wants that's to be what a I star. To do. Totally, we all do. If anyone is singing behind a microphone, they want to be a star in some form or fashion. That's why they're on stage. You're on stage because you want to be this focus of attention. You want that. These these Todd Snyder people that say they don't, he does. He does, of right? He does. Um, Worse than you. Worse yeah, than me. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's why we, that's why we do it. So there's people that crave other things more that want these things. But I, you know, I think there's there's like in all the people we talk about that are generational talent, like all this stuff. Like, I mean, George Strait is a generational talent, but it also is timing was perfect and he doesn't he you know he just stands up there and sings does his thing it's like you know what i'm saying it just happens naturally very easily it happens naturally and it's like old like, girl can't help it <laughs> <laughs> so you know I mean, so tell me this man so now that we've talked and I'm not saying that we've changed that we've made any kind of inroads. <laughs> have we talked the, about anything? The, have we made any progress? You owe me a ten dollar. By the way, pay. this is this is a late night. Uh, this Wade is what and it Jack conversation this is what it devolves into. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> we'll, and we wake up the next day. What do we talk about? I don't know, but it was good. It seemed to make sense. It seemed at the to time. make sense. We, we're good. We kept Paul at bay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then give me a different answer. Not because you, if, if it's the same answer, give it, give that to me. All right. But, but if there's an answer that's a little more honest than, than just clocking in and going to work, which is fine. That's, it's not like that's, that's not, that's noble. Right. That's not the end all. Where honest. do you want in 10 years from now? You're, you're probably what, 45? For, I'm 42. 42. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, you know, I have, I just finished up another record and had some late night conversations about this very thing. I really feel like, not to feel like, I really want one more rung of the ladder up before I start to just cruise into my career. Is it a... Is it a hit? Is I it don't a, know. I don't know what that is. Songwriting credit? What, like, what is it? I don't know what that is. I don't know. I, I NPR? <laughs> like, what is it? <laughs> we all want NPR, Paul. Just fucking yeah, deal yeah. with it. <laughs> I want something to, to kind of boost it a little bit. I just want something. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that is. I don't even know how to reach that anymore with all – that's happened over the last eight to 10 years of my career. I'm not sure that I know how to make that happen or what to do, but I, I feel like there's one more thing and I feel like I'm going to eventually figure that out, whatever that may be. Is it some type of validation internally, externally, 
is it is it showing up instead of selling 250 to 300 to 500 where where you sell out cool shows in advance all the time or what is I, it? I don't. I don't know that that's going to happen. You know, I, I don't. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what the validation is. I don't know what the next rung is. I just feel like there's. I feel like I'm working my ass off to figure out what that is. You know, um, that's what's kind of kept the f- fire burning, I guess, because I feel like I I don't want to hit that cruise control like I before you know you like you you do your set list right and you go well. There's only so many spots left for the ones that they that I that they for sure want to hear, right? Um, I don't want to do that yet. Like I, I do that already, but I don't want to settle into that show yet. I want to like keep pushing the envelope somehow. Like keep yeah, trying. You know what Paul would do? This 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 like this sounds like a lifetime movie to me, but <laughs> but you know what Paul would do? He wouldn't play a single fucking hit. Neither would Neil Young. S- play a single hit? Like when you say that you only have a certain amount of slots on the set list and you have to play these. Right. Some of our heroes, Neil Young, but Elvis wouldn't. Elvis would play the hits and be miserable. Neil Young would go, I don't care if they want to hear. Right. Well, that's not my... That's not me as an artist, but but I think the way that I'm doing that is I just made a record that I feel is very unlike anything I've ever done. So you so got that. I got that out of my system a little bit where I'm like, all right, I know that I get to go play those live and it's going to freak people out when they hear it a little bit. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited to throw those in the show somewhere, even though I know I got to play, you know, West Texas Rain and Mood Ring and Who I Am and those those songs that they want to hear. Um, those are great songs. I just, I'm really excited about the album I just made and trying something different on people. And what's the new record called? I, I think it's going to be called Wade on the Levee, but I'm not real sure yet. Wait, not Wade. Wait, wait on the Levee. So in ten years, if your if your tour consists of Lubbock, Dallas, Waco, Houston, Austin, San Antonio, Green, Roswell, New Mexico, Oklahoma City. A couple a couple dates on the hold my beer and watch this. Make it up to Omaha or Chicago. No. Kansas City. No, it's not good enough. What, what do you want? I want to play. I, I don't know. I want to be able to play rooms, not bars. I want to be able to play. Uh, I want to be able. You know, you can't. You can't go play the rooms that I want to play right now unless you sell ticket. Unless you sell tickets. Unless you sell hard ticket sales, right? Not soft ticket sales. We made a career out of soft ticket sales, but hard ticket sales like that. I want to go get in those. Well, rooms. I made every decision I've made about my career off of. <laughs> Off of that concept, I was like, "It's like, man, these are soft, man. This isn't real. Yeah, this doesn't happen when I'm seventy, and I want to do this till I'm." So I want to be able to play those rooms and feel good when I look out and go, "Okay, cool." Now, there's people that want to hear my music and they want to hear what I got to say tonight. 
That's okay, so Pivoto, I know that yeah. I know that what you're good, right? And you can edit all this shit. Correct. Okay, so the fact that we're going long and all that shit does not matter to you. Okay, can so I have look. another beer? Yes. Please. Do you want another drink? No. Nah. You're gonna stay, right? I'll take another drink. Big spoon, little spoon. <laughs> we, all little spoon. Little spoon? Yeah. we all know the little spoon. We all know the little spoon. There it is. Wait, what does that mean? Okay. You know this thing's still on. Can you see me play with my toenail the whole time? Uh, no. Because no. it's pretty nasty, I'm sure. Okay, so with that in mind, you good? Yeah. He's he's it. Oh, hey man, hey dumbass, you just got him a beer oh, and then. God damn, you're like capital ADD. We need Casey here, my TM, to like help bar. <laughs> he's not really a TM, he's more of like a bartender. You're like a bold print ADD. Casey? Casey, the Casey James? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, Casey James, the American <laughs> Idol guy. Man, please edit that. He's going to no, be like, throw his the ass fuck, under Wade? the bus. Fuck, Wade, you forgot my fucking name. Imagine that. Sorry, you're the one that went on American Idol, dude, not me. <laughs> you're the one who <laughs> fucking trying to push shit singles in front of mine. Okay, you good? Oh, sorry. Okay, so with that in mind, <laughs> and three. Hey, now tell you the story. Wade. No, uh, uh, so, <sighs> so about two weeks ago, when I hear Jack takes his kids out of the boat at three o'clock. The afternoon comes back about four. Well, we finish up podcast about eleven o'clock. Kevin goes up there, dude. Hey, Jack, you forgot to turn your boat off this afternoon. <laughs> goes out there all night. The all night. <laughs> we yes. got to charge the battery, man. It's awesome. <laughs> okay, so with all that in mind, I guess I guess one thing that. I, your dad had, had a big effect on you is with work ethic, and, and my dad did too, and so did my granddad. And so did Guy Clark and all of our heroes. Like, like they did what you're talking about. Uh, go to work. Write the song. Whether you finish the song, play it for people, see what they think, keep moving. Make a record, go tour, do the whole thing. Which works out for us. But... I guess when when we start talking about like where do you want to be in 10 years and how do you I think Paul has a lot more to do with your life than doesn't have to be Paul. I think Wade is Paul, all that shit, but it's like yeah. being able to reconcile big dreams, big goals that seem lofty and seem a little out of your like hey man, don't get above your raising. That's a big deal in Texas. That's a big deal in country. Like hey man, who do you think you are? It's like, well, Nobody was ever anything unless they thought they were somebody. Right. And in Texas, everybody's somebody, especially in Lugenbach. So it's like, my dad used to go, and I think he learned it from these books he read called The Power of Positive Thinking that was written by this guy, Norman Vincent Peale. And he used to look at me and go, okay, you're a golfer, I'm a golfer. My dad was a golfer, my brother played in college, your dad played in college. So I know what that is and how to learn how to do it on a level that's like as good as any division one basketball player we know. Like we know what that is. I never got to that level, but I do know what it means to, to aspire to that. My dad would say, 
where do you want this ball to go? And I'd say, well, I want it to go on the green. He's like, where on the green? Well, you know, somewhere where I can get a two putt, somewhere in 30 feet. He's like, okay, where exactly do you want it to go? And, and how do you want to see the flight? Do you want it to go, do you want to fade it low over the trap and back on so you have a 10 foot below the hole? Or do you just care if you're within 20 feet? Because if you're within 20 feet, you could be above the hole. And that's a very different 20 footer than a 20 footer below the hole. Or let's say you're a basketball player. Or, or you're, you have a ball and it goes, hit the backboard. Well, if you just say you want to hit the backboard, that means you're bringing all of the air around the backboard into play. But if you say, I want to hit this specific spot on the, on the backboard, then you're taking all of the other stuff away, all the air away, and there's no way you'll not hit the backboard. You might not hit your spot, but you're going to get a lot closer than if you just have this general idea. Which is why he says, like a lot of people say golfers, those pro golfers, this week is the U.S. Open. And one of the things that, that I've heard them say, those, those professionals who are the best in the world, they say this is a different week because normally our field of vision is 20 feet that the fairway is, five feet before the ropes. And if we really hit it shitty, it'll hit the crowd. But now there is no crowd. So their field of vision is this big. And they're saying that makes it harder. And so when I ask you, and one day you can turn this around on me, but it's not like this is me talking to you. <laughs> when I say, hey, Wade, how do you want to get there? Okay, let me ask you. I'll turn around on you. How do you control that? How can you possibly say, I... Now, golf, golf course, I get that. Sports I get are a little sports. different deal. But how can you possibly say, I mean, of course, I would love to be George Strait or bigger. I would love to be as big as possible. But how do you- Right, but that's a different, that's, that's a 20-year-old question. How do you get there? now from 10 years from now. But how do you get there? Well- 10 years from now, how do you get there? It takes surrounding yourself with a team that can do that. It takes all of that shit that you just mentioned earlier that killing yourself practically when you're not 30 anymore, killing yourself to go fly to the stations and do all the monkey yeah, that's dance and all that. Anymore. None of that. It, that's what it requires at this juncture. Could be George Strait, but that's why I'm asking from here 10 years from now because so, the answer so, went 30 years ago when you were 19 and you started West 84, it's like, where do you? Where do you want to be? That's a very different answer than what you would say now. Right. But my point is what I try really hard not to, I guess it has nothing. It's not that I don't have goals. I have those goals. I have that vision, but there's, I also know what I can control and what I can't. And so my, my way of controlling that is to, Go in and make the records. And doing exactly what you're doing. Do it now. and go in and write the songs and make sure that the the songs I write and the records that I make are the best damn thing I can do at that time. That's all I know to do. I can't all of the other stuff I can't control. It is completely out of my control whether that shit ever happened. Even even in 
2010 or 2009 when I'm on a major label. I, I wanted these things to happen. I I had a vision of looking down the fairway and seeing the green and and and, and know where I wanted to go with the ball. But then there's also guys who do that and shoot 85, you know? I mean, there's there's a I know I know where I want to go. I know where I want to get to. There's also I know what I can and can't control. And that takes a lot of trial and error in the music business over the years. As a youngster, you think you can control everything. You think you can control whether you're going to have crowds and control whether you're going to have hits and you're going to control whether you can um and as you get older, you realize it's not. So what becomes important to me? The song and the live show. When I go out and play a show, I go out with my band, who I would put up there with anybody. Um, and, th- and that band has changed 22 times over the last 22 years. I've had 22 or 23 different band members. And the fact that you know that is pretty cool. And they've always been good. And I take a lot of pride in that, that that's, I feel confident when I step on stage that we're, we've done the work and we've, we're putting on a great show. Okay. So whatever me, that may be. So instead of me questioning your, your loftiness or your, when you say, I want to have one more thing, one more, just oomph, one more, one more just thing that makes me go, this will never go away. This is for real. This is what I always wanted it to be. And it's not always, it's not what I always, like it wasn't, doesn't reach everything, but like, I always wanted to feel really secure that like, hey man, I'm in the game. I guess it's one more record. One more, I guess it's one. No, it's. I guess it's one more record that, that does that. So do you think it's just, it, in your. That's the only in, thing I can control. World, it's, a, it's a compilation. It's, it's a, it's a, uh, what do they call that? Um. 15 people here, 15 people. It's, it's a, it's an entire picture of how many people you've affected in over time, how many songs you've written the, uh, God, what's that word, man? Pivoto, you're good with words. It's the cumulative. It's a cumulative effect of you started writing the songs you were really proud of and would play for Willie Nelson or Guy Clark or Jesus at some point in your career whether it was God bless this town or whatever it was. Do you think it's accumulation of another record and another record and another record until, until every song you would ever be expected to play is every song you'd ever want to play for Christopherson? And whether, whether it turns into an audience of a hundred people at the Mucky Duck, 250 people at Dosey Doe or the Heights or a thousand people at the theater downtown, are you cool with that? No, no. I I, I want it to mean a little more. I want it, I want I want I want I want I want to be able to play to a little bit bigger crowds than hundred or two hundred people. Um, so the, the the meaningful theaters in every in every city. Yeah. Whether it's regional or, th- or throughout the nation. Yeah, I want to be. I would love to to be at the point where you're. Where well, you're playing the city winery in New York. Yeah. Well, you're still able to make and you're it coming back home a good living yeah. and and those things. I mean, that that's really important to me. But I, I I think it all goes back to the songs and the albums you make. And I guess when I say I think there's one more thing that happens, 
I, I guess I put that back on me saying I got to write that song or I got to write that record that just just that's really what it is. I mean, we can talk about all the labels and all the BS, but whatever we want. At this point. But the songs is what really comes down to. So if you all of a sudden write a song or record a song, doesn't matter if you wrote it or not, whatever, put one out there that hits people in a way that's different from everything I've done for the past 10 years, that's something that I would take pride in. I would love that. I would love that. And that's that's my goal right now to try to do that. Coming out of a new record, I feel like that was my goal then to try to like, man, I, you know, as we do with every record. What, of course, man. A, a songwriter's favorite song is always the last one they wrote. Same with the record. Or the next one. You know, it's like, so that's what I try to do with this record and I'll do it. And if I'm, if, if it fails or doesn't work, then I'll go back and write and do another record until I feel like it's gotten me there to that next rung or whatever. And if it doesn't, if I don't feel like th that it did. Um, did your granddad ever feel like he made it? Did your dad ever feel like he made it? Um, In a way that they go, I got no regrets. Everything I wanted, it happened. My dad, had, yeah, my dad has no regrets. He's just like, life's grand. I'm a badass. <laughs> Your mom's only great as your dad, right? <laughs> Hell, my mom, uh, she has, mom has to put, put up with that crazy dude. Well, hey, man. So, honestly, talking to you, that's always the, the risk with doing something like this where it's a setup. Because every time we've ever hung out and talked on a bus or backstage or what or on the phone, it's always been happenstance or because we're in the same spot at the same time, mentally or physically. And so to set up like, hey, come over and let's have a real heart to heart mm -hmm. kind of feels like you're setting up something like trying to set up the perfect kiss. Like, <laughs> hey, man, how are we going to feel like we did the other one <laughs> when we actually kissed? Right. Waylon Payne ain't here, so we don't need to worry about kissing <laughs> each other. But <laughs> but listen, man, thank you for uh, for being here and for being my friend and for being honest. And for uh, and for being you, man. For being Dude, honestly, I'm always happy to always dive into you. music and live with you, man. It's always fun. It's always an interesting uh, conversation. I love it. Whether we get anything accomplished, I don't know, but it's always fun. I bet we do. If we don't, man, we have. We always have. Like, always. Man, I. I just I always go back to this when I'm around you because. <clears throat> not everybody knows I don't give you enough credit for our late night conversations and uh, <clears throat> oh now um, I, I've been giving you enough credit for our late night conversations probably overall you know how much they've impacted my life and my relationships and stuff man it's always fun that's why I consider you such a good friend because you're, always, you're a straight shooter. You always have been with me. And it, it, I feel like I could always call you and say, Jack will tell me straight, you know. And uh, you did that with this one before I wrote it. Stop bitching about it. Why don't you go and write about it? And I'll never forget it. And it was like five in the morning when you said <laughs> that. I'm surprised that I remembered. But um, I did, man. I probably and, said it 30 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, just stop bitching that. We're going to write it. And uh, 
What's funny is I wrote this song and I was too chicken shit to play it for my wife. So I put it on the record and then I gave her a copy of the record as a whole. So it would kind of sneak up on her and surprise her. So I wouldn't have to make a big deal about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she got it. She she listened and said, well, I guess Anchor's about me. Oh, and uh, I said, yeah. And, uh, but as with, as with the songs that I've written about her, good or bad, you know, they always bring up conversation. Communication is good to talk about it. Ironically enough, when I was just in the studio a couple of weeks ago, writing a new record and try to finish it all. And she literally said, I can't handle any more sad marriage songs. So don't write. <laughs> and I said, well, you controlling enough. bitch. <laughs> I said, fair enough. I don't have any bad marriage things to write about right now. So that's good. Hey so man. I told her, I told her I'm, I'm, I'm done with those. In the, in the age of Corona and what we've been going through, the fact that you don't have any of those songs is, that's pretty cool. Man, I know. We, we've, you know, she's a homebody. And this is like, I don't call it social distancing. Her name's Shelby. I call it Shelby distancing. She's been doing this for years. Yeah. We've been playing songs <laughs> at, or playing shows at quarter capacity for years. <laughs> yeah. 25%. Hell, I can do that. That's cool, man. That's like almost break even, right? <laughs> yeah. Story of my life. Man. Story of my career. Um, yeah, man. She, she and I have actually, surprisingly, we got along really well in a, Really, not surprisingly, but you know, we we've we've uh, handled this whole being at home a lot thing pretty well. It's been pretty eye-opening for me. For a guy who's been on the road constantly fighting, scrap, you know, scrapping around for 22 years, man, it's like, man, it's gonna be hard. I don't know if I can go back to the old way, you know. So that's crossed my mind. During this part of the program, Wade plays Solid Ground, the title track off of his record released in 2018 for copyright reasons. We can't put it on this entire podcast, but I provided a link to YouTube below in the description so you can watch it there. That's a great song, man. Thanks, man. Especially with some whiskey in you. So when she said, uh, (laughs) that's about me, was she crying? Like, did it hurt her feelings or or was was it more like, Man, she she. Of course, that's about me. She went into a, um, yeah, like, and, and of course, that's about me, moment, but in a good way. Like, you know, I'm, here's why I feel this way. Or I get it, I get it, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. But you're not. She she specifically said, uh, you're not an anchor. You're, you know, you're you're the rock. You're the you're you're my guy. You're the love of my life. Kind of stuff. So are you telling me mm-hmm. I saved your marriage? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's saved my marriage, <laughs> but uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We talk about it quite often. I mean, it obviously hit her. She's a very- She better treat me with some more respect the next time I see her. <laughs> She's an introvert, man. You know, So she doesn't talk about, she keeps everything- My wife might not, even, might not even act like she recognizes you. She's <laughs> <laughs> well, same here. Wade Bowen, this is jacking around. We, that's what we did. Thanks for- Always being game, bud. I love you. Love you too, bud. Thank you, man. Thanks for the invite.